2014 will go down as the warmest year around the globe in recorded history. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the podcast for the climate community. Today we're bringing you voices and perspectives from Australia's engineering community and a group called Australian Engineers Declare Climate and Biodiversity Emergency. Engineering activities are connected with over 65% of Australia's direct greenhouse gas emissions. And so, engineering teams have a responsibility to act. Joining me to introduce today's episode is Lizzie Webb, a member of the coordination team for the group. Welcome, Lizzie. Thanks very much, Mark. Pleasure. It's so good to have you here. Uh, We're going to hear a little bit more about the group and how it got started in the recording to follow. But I'd love your help, Lizzie, in setting up what we're about to hear. What is what is this event that got recorded? Thanks very much, Mark. Well, back in September last year, we launched a new movement focused on a declaration of climate and biodiversity emergency, specifically for the Australian engineering profession. At the moment, we're going through a process of engaging all of our individual signatories right around Australia and inviting them to join us for online Zoom events so that they can start meeting their community and talking more about how they're going to take greater action around climate and biodiversity emergency. That's really exciting. So we can look forward to seeing more uh, sort of outcomes from the engineering community as you start to organize and start to, to get to know each other more in this space. Absolutely. No doubt that engineers will play a critical role in addressing the climate and biodiversity emergency. And in fact, Thousands and thousands of engineers are already very, very active in this space. What we're going to be doing is supporting individuals and organisations to connect more effectively with one another, and then we're going to try and accelerate and amplify their actions so that we can transition um, more rapidly and with a, a social justice lens towards a more sustainable future. That's wonderful. Which, unfortunately, kind of uh, looking at the future makes me kind of very aware of what the present is like for many of us. And uh, it's different in a lot of ways than it was even just a month ago. Uh, Can I ask how you're reacting personally to to life in lockdown and also how it's affected the group? Thanks, Mark. On a personal level, I'm quite fortunate because I'm very familiar with working remotely and working from home. Um, but the reality is for, for many of the individuals and organisations we work with, it's been quite a dramatic shift in, in work practice and, and in family life as well. Um, and our original plan was, in fact, to hold a series of regional connect events in person in each uh, state capital. So we had to make a quick decision a few weeks ago to now do that online. And the reality is most of our engagement now with our growing declaration community will be through Zoom and Skype and and um, other various online formats. <laughs> well, that has a silver lining for me in that it's a lot easier to get recordings and, and this content uh, can live on a lot easier when it's done online than when it's done in person. Because, uh, you know, getting along to record all those events in state capitals can be quite tricky. Um, so I'm really impressed and, and really grateful for the uh, the recording quality you got out of holding this event. 
and uh, I'm really pleased to be able to share it with the Climactic community today. Uh, can I just ask your advice for other groups who are going through the similar situation of having to pivot from live events to virtual events? Uh, what, what's some early decisions you made around this and, and what's uh, maybe some mistakes that other people could avoid? Mark, the first thing we did was rethink the whole design of our regional connect events. So we went back to the sorts of outcomes that we wanted to create and completely rethought the event format. Uh, our initial intention was to have a series of presentations and a panel discussion. But once we realised we'd be engaging with people online, we thought, no, we need to create as much opportunity for discussion as we can. But as you know, that's very difficult to do with a group of 30, 40 or 50 people. So instead, we used the chat function um, and encouraged all of our participants to share their name and their role and respond to questions live throughout the course of the of the um, call. And then we carefully facilitated or curated a discussion and invited as many people as we could to contribute without trying to create space for every single person on the call to respond to every question. So we gave quite a lot of thought um, and still have a lot to learn, I might add. Um, our next step is to start using breakout rooms and um, and really trying to create as much space as possible for individuals to contribute to the conversation. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, we look forward to checking back in with you as things develop, and we'd love to host more of these events uh, going forward as well. Um, if you listening know or are part of any groups engaging with the climate crisis and you're doing remote events over the coming weeks and, dare I say, months, uh, we'd love to work with you to spread those to a wider audience Follow Lizzie's advice and uh, look out for articles coming soon from us. Look out for those at Climactic.fm about how to get your events recorded well, and then get in touch with us to talk editing and publishing. So thank you so much for your time, Lizzie, and thank you for joining us, and we can't wait to bring you this event. Thanks very much, Mark. Welcome, everyone, to our New South Wales Region Connect event, Engineers Declare biodiversity and climate emergency movement. My name's Lizzie Webb and I'm a member of the coordination team. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the country on which we meet today. I'm up in Brisbane, so for me, it's the Yuggera people. I recognize that many of you are probably in the Sydney region. Some of you may be distributed right throughout the, uh, the state. So wherever you are, we acknowledge the traditional owners and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Look, I'd also like to take the opportunity to acknowledge that we're all experiencing quite challenging circumstances at the moment associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're seeing quite tragic consequences playing out right across the Australian community and internationally. We considered whether or not we would go ahead with today's region engagement, but I think the reality is it's perhaps more important than ever right now that we hold on to and build a stronger sense of community. And the reality is that we all need to continue action around climate change and biodiversity loss. So we appreciate your making the time today. And, and we just did want to acknowledge the, the context in which today's call is occurring. Before we go too much further, I'd like to take the opportunity to introduce myself and Chris Bunting, who's going to co-host with me today. I'm an environmental engineer by background and have spent most of my career working with Engineers Without Borders in Australia and across parts of Southeast Asia. More recently, my focus has been on starting and supporting social enterprises here and in places like Cambodia and Timor-Leste. 
Chris and I and a number of other volunteers decided in, in August last year that there was a real need to support mobilisation of the Australian engineering profession around climate and biodiversity emergency. And that's when we started working together. So Chris, I might just hand over to you for a moment now to provide an introduction, if I may. Sure. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. So my background is in uh, sustainability. So I've worked for non-profit organisations, uh, utilities, and over the last uh, 10 years in, in consulting work, trying to, in the property sector, trying to move, integrate sustainability into buildings and precincts and infrastructure. And probably like many of you have felt a little frustrated with the, with the pace of change, recognising where the science is at. So, so I've you know, jumped at the opportunity to just volunteer some time along with the, other, the rest of the team to uh, help um, support this movement and to, to share the information we're sharing today and, and to think about how we can collaborate together to drive change. Excellent. Thanks very much, Chris, for doing an intro. So the reason that we're holding Region Connect events is just displayed on the on the screen there. First and foremost, we want to start building a sense of community and inspiring more individuals and organisations to become a part of the movement. Beyond that, we felt it was a really good point in time to share some progress with you regarding how the um, movement's progressing, and in particular, start engaging with you around what we might do together next. So a critical part of that is, you know, the opportunity for us today to outline a couple of different mechanisms for us to start collaborating. So today's session is essentially organised into four parts. Chris is going to start by providing an overview of Engineers Declare and the impact that we've had to date. After that, I'm going to talk a bit more about the next phase of the movement, which is very much focused now on transition action. Then we've got about 20 minutes to share perspectives around the group. We've got a bit of a structure of questions that we're going to follow there. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to engaging you in a, in a conversation shortly. And then we'll finish up by talking about some specific next steps to pursue. Excellent. So, Chris, I'm now going to hand over to you to talk uh, a bit about Engineers Declare Climate and Biodiversity Emergency and how that's come about. So, so the starting point is, is, is the declaration, and clearly, there's, you know, we'll talk shortly about what, what, what actions that might might mean. But around the world, we're seeing a, a real focus on on that the initial step of of being honest with ourselves and others, and making a public commitment around what we understand the science is is telling us. So, you know. It, uh, when we, we talk about the engineering profession, um, engineers are quite integral to a modern advanced society and, and support the quality of life that we have in Australia. And, and many people highly respect the profession and, and understand the contribution that, that engineers make. But at the same time, we're realising the degree to which engineers are involved in projects that contribute to Australia's greenhouse gas emissions, you know, around 65% of our direct greenhouse gas emissions. But if you look at cities, it could be as high as 80% in major metropolitan areas. So, so this is creating a, an interesting tension, I guess, where there's conflicting perceptions of, of engineers as, as delivering, you know, amazing technology and built environment that we all in, in enjoy, but also perhaps uh, contributing to the climate emergency. Samuel C. Foreman, a noted engineer and author, puts it this way, what's it like to be an engineer at the moment that the profession has achieved unprecedented success and simultaneously is being accused of having brought our civilization to the brink of ruin? And clearly we, we, we would like to see the profession move, move beyond that kind of a situation. So 
the deep involvement that engineers have in so many sectors of our economy means that they're potentially unmatched in the degree of impact they can have. This is, this is the upside. They can really drive the solutions probably more so than any other discipline profession that, that I can think of. And so they could be considered super influencers in their ability to change the way we design, build and operate systems and technology. But also engineers are expert at understanding and applying the latest scientific knowledge in the service of society. So, so that means when we look at the climate crisis, really taking to heart what the science is telling us and what the global community is committed to in terms of the Paris Climate Accord and, and limiting global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. And that goal has very near-term implications. You know, some people see that as just a 2050 thing and we've got plenty of time, but we know that a lot of the things that engineers are working on now will impact our greenhouse gas emissions in 2025 and 2030, which are already important milestones on, on a low carbon trajectory. And, and we understand we need to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 40 to 60% by, by 2030. And, and every Australian state has signed up to, to net zero emissions by 2050. And the pace of scale of that as a challenge is unprecedented. And I don't think uh, most people are fully across how quickly we, we need to, to change and adapt. And um, so we need to think big. Um, there's no silver bullet. Piecemeal solutions won't be enough. Technology will be helpful, but insufficient on its own. So we need a, a deep shift in engineering. We might call it a great turning towards solutions that create the conditions for life to thrive. But unfortunately, that shift isn't taking place far enough on its own based on you know, current organisations and, and responsibilities across, across the industry. And the language for the declaration matches quite closely what you may have seen from the UK. Architects and engineers uh, have really started the, the, that effort uh, in the UK. And it's quite well written. There's some, some additions to, to recognise the importance of First Nations in Australia. But this is a summary just to capture or interpret, summarise what, what the different principles are. Um, and it really highlights the need to focus on a whole range of different facets of the, of the of building capacity across the industry, but in particular education, educating ourselves and others and sharing stories, collaboration and reaching across sectors, working with government, working with First Nations, and then rethinking the way we, we deliver engineering projects and, and apply engineering knowledge in terms of, you know, regenerative design, but, you know, circularity, you know, whole of life thinking, decarbonisation pathways and that kind of thing. So, you know, hopefully that's a helpful diagram. So this is kind of the snapshot of where we're at in, in terms of signatories. Now, this has been going since September last year and, and there's been a lot of support. It's still, we're still, you know, building the visibility of the, of the movement and thanks to all of you who've helped in that process. There have been a lot of conversations and efforts to engage uh, individuals, to engage organisations, large and small engineering organisations and to talk to them uh, about uh, where they are in their journey and many have signed up. Some are, you know, making the decision to start sign up and that's taking them a certain amount of time and, and others for various reasons have, have not. But that's part of that transition that, that we're trying to, to really accelerate. And, and of course, this is not just engineers, this is other engineering supporters. And look, we're very supportive of the other DECLARE movements in terms of Architects DECLARE, which is doing some similar things with architects around the country over the last few weeks. So we're working very closely with them and, and other DECLARE movements as well. And, and I think the, the thing to just keep in mind here is this 
climate emergency movement really began in Australia, in Melbourne, actually. And it's not just um, engineers and architects, etc. It's, it's municipalities and governments around the world. And, and that represents nearly 1,500 jurisdictions and, and 800 million people that live in areas that where, where the, the local government or state government has, has declared a climate emergency. So, so we're really appreciative of all the support that, that you and others have provided to, to get things to this point. Uh, numbers matter. We really need to be comfortable putting our names against these kinds of declarations uh, because they help attract visibility and support and, and help, uh, help create the conditions to, to move on to the next uh, phase, uh, which is, is really around action, which Liz will now get, uh, talk you through. Thanks very much, Chris, for providing an overview of Engineers Declare. And just to reiterate, as Chris has mentioned, the numbers are really important because it gives us leverage when we speak to key stakeholders that haven't signed and to non-engineering institutions and, and agencies, including government, about just how many people and businesses within our profession are committed to seeing substantially more action around climate and, and biodiversity emergency. What's really interesting is that we've got a very, very low number of student signatories at the moment. We might talk a little bit more about this later, but we have actually got quite a comprehensive plan in place around how we'd like to be engaging universities and students for obvious reasons. Working with students through orientation weeks um, went on hold. We're looking for an appropriate opportunity to really re-engage there with student clubs and, and engineering deans a little bit further down the track. And also to Chris's point, you know, whilst our, our declaration here is very much focused around the engineering profession, we recognise that change requires all individuals and all professions to work together. And in fact, some of the most innovative opportunities for change will come at the interface between our profession and the work of others as well. So what we'd love to do now is tell you a bit about our plans and ideas for the next phase of the movement, Engineers Act. And it was very much our intention from the outset that once we started building up signatories to the declaration, that we would move to supporting and mobilising people around action. And so really what we see the role of this movement in doing is to champion this vision and to really support the process of mainstreaming progressive sustainability paradigm within the engineering profession. And I think it's really critical that I note that there's a lot of people that have been working hard at this for many years already. In fact, you know, as I run my, my eye down our list of participants today, I can, see, I can see academics and practitioners who've committed a large part of their engineering career to building capability in this area. What we'd love to do is try and strengthen that work, perhaps reinforce connections between universities and industry and government and try and support the profession to go faster and, and harder. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that's why many of you, if not all of you are on today's call too. So Engineers Act as a movement is, yes, it's about getting individuals and businesses to progress their journey or their transition towards a more sustainable society. And very much it's also in response to the climate and biodiversity emergency declarations that we've been seeing in other parts of Australia and in other professions and around the world. Because those of us that really formed the, I guess, the, or got together to start the declaration felt that our profession needs to have a much stronger voice in, in the community about its role and its leadership around these critical issues. And all of us subscribe to this idea that every single one of us has a responsibility to play and we're going to have to do more. So I sort of feel like I've touched on a couple of these points around our approach already. What's really critical to highlight is that we want this movement to be very inclusive 
and we want it to be future focused. So positive and future focused. There's incredible examples, of course, of, of businesses and individuals that are championing a sustainability agenda already. Let's focus on those opportunities for, for learning and for sharing leading practice and success. We really want that to be the, the flavour or the culture of the, of the movement. And of course, it almost goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the activities and particularly the targets that we want to champion need to be underpinned by evidence-based science. And from a cohort of engineers, I, I doubt there'll be resistance to that. So we've identified three aims around the headings of transformation, sector movement and leadership. So the first aim is to facilitate systems change and the normalisation of innovative solutions and business practice. The second is to build a, a, a connected movement, a connected and engaged movement of individuals and organisations in our profession who act together to fundamentally shift practice. And again, acknowledging there's a lot happening already, but let's really strengthen that together. And thirdly, we really want to advocate for a stronger voice from the engineering profession around its leadership and contribution to society. So that could be with government or it could be in the general public or perhaps with other stakeholder groups that the movement identify. So I'd love to talk to those aims in just a little bit more detail um, before we move into a more of a discussion format. So when we talk about transformation or a transition, we're talking about moving from where our society is now to a place in which a sustainability paradigm is deeply embedded in engineering practice. Now, I appreciate that's an incredibly broad description. What we're trying to encompass here is adaptation and mitigation of climate change, so moving towards and then beyond zero net emissions, but we're also talking about reversing the damaging impact environment and culture as well. So looking at the biodiversity element of the declaration and saying, well, how do we shift from reducing harm through to a place where our, our whole philosophy and practice is about the regeneration of the systems around us? We're looking at multiple different dimensions there when we talk about a transitional systems change. And what we'd love to do here is to support the identification of really specific opportunities for change. And already we've had literally dozens of ideas come through from the signatory cohort about what that might look like. In many cases, the technology or the business practice has already been developed. There are great reports and recommendations out there around how our profession can be more effective, but then there's been some kind of a blocker. Maybe, and quite often what we're seeing is that the issue sits in that it's not any one individual organization's responsibility to influence the systems change. We actually need a, a collaborative you know, group to come together and do that. So we're going to be identifying those opportunities, bringing together the right stakeholders and looking at ways to amplify or accelerate whatever that particular innovation or, or systems change is. I'm sure that everybody on the call today has some ideas around what that could, uh, what that could look like. It's been quite remarkable actually how articulate and how quickly I think engineers are able to identify where those opportunities are. So look, here's just four examples. Um, as I mentioned, there's about a dozen that we've identified already and we need to go through a process of testing those. You know, one is around low body carbon concrete, another around electrification and manufacturing. They're probably more, more on the technical side, but of course there's incredible need to substantially upskill our profession as well from a, from a training and education perspective and an incredible opportunity as well to be incorporating First Nations knowledge into engineering practice and design in ways that we haven't seen before. So that's just, a, I guess, a little bit of a, a snapshot of some of the opportunities. And I will note that there are organisations often already leading these. So what we're going to try and do, well, first and foremost, is to say, how can we support 
a progression of your agenda by mobilising the profession around them. So in terms of building a sector movement, we really fundamentally feel that we have to inspire a mindset shift amongst our fellow engineers first and foremost. And I certainly know that for the uh, sustainability academics on this call, your working lives are very much almost committed to nurturing a sustainability paradigm within your engineering students. We need to see that at a much, much larger scale right across the profession and use inspiring stories about what our profession is doing already to get every individual acting. It's been quite remarkable, I think, in the last few months, talking particularly, well, actually not just with early career professionals, people at all levels of their career, to realise that many people feel a bit lost in terms of what they need to do next. So I think we can all help address that. That, of course, then needs to be supported around building networks and building capability, better connections between people and organisations, and, of course, um, underpinned by accountability and celebration of success. So in practice... We're going about a process of forming regional groups like this one in New South Wales. We're going to be establishing action groups as well around specific targets and commitments. And we're also starting to reach out to signatory organisations to support the collation of resources and case studies. Similarly, yes, we'll be looking to host events, but primarily with both the resources and the events and the communication activities, we'll really look to collate what's already happening out there. So we may well run our own podcast series with you, but perhaps first and foremost, it will be about making sure you've got quick, easy access to the great work that's already happening across the profession in that area. And lastly, just sort of touching on the advocacy and leadership piece. It's interesting, this aim has actually very much come about in in response to a request we heard from a number of senior leaders in the profession, a request to provide a progressive platform for the profession to influence um, policy and practice. So this is something we're pretty excited about doing. And what that could look like tangibly is organising a working group or an action group to put forward a, a response to the new climate bill that Zali Stegall has, has proposed. And it's been interesting in the conversations we've had already this week, there's been a very strong theme around the voice of engineering in the general public and the importance of hearing that voice more frequently and more strongly. And so what we're really keen to do is to bring together groups of people that are interested in this area to get the profession's voice out into the public a lot more. This diagram shows those three aims mapped out with some of the key stakeholder groups down across the inner circle. And we'll try and tie all of the activities that we support or run back into those three aims. So I'm going to pause for a moment because it actually feels like I've been talking for far too long now. Chris and I are now going to just go through a process of using the chat stream there to see if there's any questions that you'd like to put to us before we move into the, the next section of the discussion. So a couple of people have asked how we're engaging with other organisations. Mm -hmm. Alan Davis asks how we're engaging with peak bodies like the GBCA and yep. Ben Alliston asking about Engineers Australia. Fabulous. A critical question. We started engaging with some of these professional associations even before the emergency declaration went live, inviting them to collaborate. And that conversation has continued and, and ramped up, typically at a CEO level across what's probably between six and eight different professional associations and membership groups now. I think the, the common feedback is, yes, there needs to be a strong response from the engineering profession on, on climate change and on biodiversity loss. We'll continue to work to encourage those groups to become signatories. 
in the meantime or, or in parallel, what we'll do with each group is look at specific ways to collaborate. And I'm aware that we may well have many Engineers Australia members, for example, on the call today. What we'd say to you is we would love to be able to connect with your region committees and with your different colleges and groups. Obviously, there's the Environment College and SENGE, the Society for Environment and Environmental Engineering and Sustainability. Those relationships have been rapidly built and developed and we've got a common agenda. So let's work together. And uh, Ian asks about getting more engineers into Australian parliaments and, and Simon has a yeah. comment about getting more um, MPs. And look, that is part of, part of the focus here is, is getting, getting engineers to, to engage as, as a profession with the development of policy, with raising the, the visibility of engineering as, as one of the sort of key areas of knowledge that we need to bring into how Australia navigates its way to a low carbon future to be comfortable with, with more activism. Uh, the profession hasn't been super comfortable with, with that kind of thing. And, you know, there's certainly a number of people have been quite supportive of, of the declaration, but have not necessarily felt that the organisations they worked in were supportive of, of, of them marching in the street for that kind of thing. So, so that is one of the key focus areas is, is that kind of engagement in, in a constructive uh, way with, with government and policy development. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a number of professional associations mentioned there, which is excellent. And that's exactly the kind of conversation we'd love to, to pick up on after this call. If you're uh, interested in working with us to, to build relationships with, with these groups, I recognise some but not all of the acronyms. That would be really greatly appreciated. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio.